Happy Sabbath. It's always a nice treat to come here. Yeah, really nice to be with all of you again uh, on this Sabbath day. And uh, I must say, I, I, it is Thanksgiving. I don't uh, spend much time on this in the pulpit, but I do want to say thank you very much for the kind contributions that you have given me in the past. It's been really meaningful. Um, you know, we were just talking in the side room before we came on the platform about the troubles that we have. And I told the brethren, I said, you know what, when I think about the troubles I have, it's very small compared to what so many other people have. And uh, one thing I found out about trouble is that it may seem really hard when you're going through it, when you, but when you look back on it, it's not so bad. So we have a lot to thank our Lord for. Um, and uh, I like what the Bible says. It says, um, when the Lord turned again our captivity, then uh, when the Lord turned again our captivity, then were we, were we like them that dream then was, our laugh, then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord had done great things for them. The Lord had done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Uh, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You know, the Lord is, has promised us a day of rejoicing, even through the tears that we shed. And um, I can't say that I'm without tears on some days. <laughs> out there working. But, you know, uh, just a few days ago, I had a man who um, made a purchase for me, and as I was talking to him, he pulled off three books off of his shelf, and he said, you remember giving me these books? I said, no, I don't remember giving them to you. Maybe, who knows, six, eight, ten years. I don't know what it was before. And um, one was Great Controversy, one was Desire of Ages, and the other one, I think, was a, a Bible Readings for the Home book. But he says, I've been reading these books, and they have been very, very meaningful to me. Isn't that precious? So... He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing and bringing his sheaves with him. So, brothers and sisters, we must press on, uh, realizing that the final victory will be for eternity and it will be totally worth it. We are in an enterprise here which is extremely important. I'd like to just bow our heads for a moment here before uh, we continue and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we pray today that the Holy Spirit will guide us. I pray, dear Lord, that Jesus Christ will illuminate our minds, that the things of this world will become strangely dim, that we will see Christ and his glory and in his truth, and that we will love him above all things and all people and serve him with all the heart. Guide my mind, guide my lips. Please be with us as a body as we worship today. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As you well know, there's a lot going on in our world, and I'd like to share just a few thoughts today about the importance of the book of Revelation in context of uh, the time in which we live in preparation for the final crisis. Now as never before, we need a revival in Bible study. Thank you, little, little man, for reading the scripture reading. Uh, I remember one time being in front of a uh, a man and trying to sell him the book Great Controversy and one thing I said to him is he, I told him I said this book will really help you understand the book of Revelation he said well he said I was he said I just heard a sermon and the preacher told us you can't understand the book of Revelation so I quoted to him the verses that were just read for scripture reading the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. Then I said to the gentleman, I said, sir, I said you're going to have to decide who you're going to believe, either the Bible or the preacher. He bought the book. So thank God for that. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we definitely live in a time uh, as never before when we need to be studying God's word and be, need to be getting ready for what's coming on the earth. And we can look forward to the final victory, uh, knowing that Christ will um, be with us. Um, you know, I, I've, my work has uh, caused me to travel a lot. <clears throat> and um, just a few days ago, I had my 14th flat tire in about 15 months. Uh, That's kind of unusual and trying to change it in the dark along a, a super highway where they're going 70 miles an hour, and I had to jump out of the way of the traffic at least 15, 12, 15 times trying to change that tire. <laughs> Not a real enjoyable experience. But that night I, I slept at a rest stop in my van, and as I was leaving, there was a man unload, uh, 
rewrapping his truck, a semi-truck, an open load with a tarp on it. So I got out, and I said, I went over to him. I said, would you like me to help you? He said, no. He said, I'm fine. But we got into a conversation, and uh, he said, you know, he said, uh, quite a few of us truck drivers carry the Bible with us because we feel security with having that Bible. And he was telling me about how the... um, the truckers aren't able to get in to uh, unload the ships that are evidently out on the West Coast because one of the reasons is that they're being stopped by the unions. Um, he also mentioned something to me that was very interesting. He said his, one of the parts on his truck that normally that currently costs $80, as soon as the supply runs out, it's going to jump up to $300. There's a lot of weird things going on in our world, but we had a very nice visit. I had a very nice visit with the man. In fact, I left with him several great controversies. He seemed very appreciative. You know, there are people out there thinking and they're, they're, they're looking for information. And brothers and sisters, we have the information. God has given us this information to, pa- to pass out. I, I can't urge any of us, including myself, enough to read these books. Great Controversy, Desire of Ages, Patriarchs and Prophets, feed, Feast on the Bible, because these books will bring us into connection with heaven. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, the, the, uh, the book Great Controversy is absolutely amazing. I'm, I think, yeah, I'm starting on it now for the 24th time uh, since I probably read it the first time. And as I was reading through the first chapter on the destruction of Jerusalem, that's an amazing chapter because it's a forecast of the end of time. But in the first chapter on page 21, it says this. It's talking about Christ weeping over Jerusalem, and it says, it says this. It says, now listen to this. This is like such an, an amazing statement. It says, the loss of one soul is a calamity that infinitely outweighs the gains and treasures of an entire world. Chew on that one. Brothers and sisters, if we... By the grace of God, we need an elevated concept of our mission, of the responsibility that rests upon us, whether we are in the pulpit or in the pew. But because we are Seventh-day Adventists, and God has given us a message to give to give to the world, and the love of God that has been poured out for lost souls in this world, uh, God has called upon us to absorb this love, to have it resident in our own life, and to be expressed as we uh, um, share with others. You know, I just. A few days ago, I had an Amish bishop say to me, his name, his name was Peter. He said, you know, you know about us Amish. I visit with quite a few Amish. He says, you know, we have our, our, our deacons and our preachers, and then we have our bishops. He says, I'm a bishop. He says, I really need to understand the Bible better, and he was so happy to get a great controversy. So I gave him a ministry of healing also. There's people out there, they're hungering. The loss of one soul is a calamity that infinitely outweighs the gains and treasures of an entire world. Brothers and sisters, don't lose your own soul. Don't lose your own soul. God has given you the power of choice. Are you using it properly? How many of you absolutely believe the Seventh-day Adventist message is true? I do. You know, that's commendable, but did you know that's not good enough? Because my Bible says in James chapter 2, even the devils believe and tremble. All right? Let me ask you this. How many of you does Jesus Christ have your attention? Mm. Let me ask you another question. How many of you does Jesus Christ... Have your affection. We need to think. Amen. I'd love to see the hands raised. So the, the, the focus of the few minutes, by the way, we plan to have a meeting shortly after lunch today. Um, there's a little bit of food provided. Mainly, I guess, people are going to bring their own lunch. We're going to take a look at last day events compilation and study the subject of the judgment of the living. Please, we'd like to invite you to join us for that. I think we'll have a very meaningful time. We'll probably have time to discuss some things we don't have in free forum right now in the pulpit while we're during church service. Um, But what I'd like to uh, share with you today is the importance of the study of the book of Revelation in preparation for the final crisis. Okay? Um, So we we observe from our scripture reading that we just took a look at today that the... um, 
that there is a very special blessing on those who who um, study the book of Revelation and hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. Now, the book of Revelation is unique in a number of ways. One of the ways that the book of Revelation is unique is you will read in the first few uh, in verses like 4, 5, um, and 6, you will read a, a greeting from all three members of the Godhead in the book of Revelation. There is another book like this where all three of the members of the Godhead give their uh, greeting. Okay? It's a very special book. And uh, one of the things about the book, and I would like to talk just a little bit about the human author of the book. We know that the divine author of the book is Jesus Christ and also the Holy Spirit. They work uh, very closely together to impart this information uh, to God's people. But the uh, book of Revelation was written by a particular man. Okay? And, you know, when the Lord selects people to be his messengers, he doesn't just pick anybody down the block. Okay? Uh, when the Lord selected the woman to be the mother of Jesus, he didn't just pick anybody in the Holy Land. When, a, when Gabriel greeted Mary, he said, Hail, uh, thou art highly favored among men. You know, uh, someone has said, well, of course, the Bible has said there's no re- God is no respecter of persons. But the Bible is also very plain that God is a respecter of character. Let me tell you what this, let me just tell you this. What God wants to do through his redemptive work is to take you and me sinners, transform us in character, and elevate us to a high, very high station that he has for us, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And by taking a look at the, and I just want to take a look briefly at the uh, life of John the Apostle. Um, uh, And of course, these are statements from Ellen White. Uh, She's tremendous in her magnification of the Bible. And I want to read to you uh, a few of these uh, statements uh, about John. Uh, This first one here is from Acts of the Apostles, page 544. Above all his companions, above all his companions, John yielded himself to the power of that wondrous life. Above all his companions. John knew the Savior by an experimental knowledge. His master's lessons were graven on his soul. When he testified of the Savior's grace, his simple language was eloquent with the love that pervaded his whole being. Must have been a wonderful thing to see that man, the Christ-likeness on his face, the love that was projecting from him. And she says that love pervaded his whole being. He was very imbued with Christ and with the Spirit of God. He had fallen in love with Jesus. And he had really uh, absorbed Christ. The Savior loved all the twelve, but John's was the most receptive spirit. The Savior loves all those in the Brooklyn church today. The question for us to ask ourselves is, how receptive is my spirit? Are you hungering after him? Do you love him? I mean, do you really love him? Not some mere flaky emotional thing. I'm talking about gratitude to the divine one who became a man and died for you on the cross. Do you love him? He loves you. Are you reaching out after him? Are you thirsting after him? Listen to this. He came more into sympathy with Christ. Now listen. Through him... The Savior's deepest spiritual teaching was communicated to the people. All right? She just referred to five books in the Bible. First, second, third John, Revelation, and the Gospel of John. If you want to go to the deepest fountain in the Bible, it's those books. Through him, the Savior's deepest spiritual teaching was communicated to the people. Jesus loves those who represent the Father, and John could talk of the Father's love as no other of the disciples. Could. He revealed to his fellow men that which he felt in his own soul, representing in his character the attributes of God. The glory of the Lord was expressed in his face. The beauty of holiness, which had transformed him, shone with a Christ-like radiance from his countenance. Then it says this, In adoration and love he beheld the Savior, In adoration and love, he beheld the Savior until likeness to Christ, likeness to Christ and fellowship with him became his one desire. Look, 
right now there is a revival on foot amongst God's people. And you know what? It's going to pivot on this very concept. Their one desire is to be like Christ and to fellowship with him and to be like him. So, you know, the, the, the Lord is saying to us, how much do you want? I will give unto him that is a thirst. It says in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, chapter 22, both. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. There's no, there's no uh, uh, end to that supply. Do you realize that? It's infinite. The gift of Christ was an infinite gift, and he has infinite grace. Uh, Ephesians 4, 8, unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. There's no end to it, brothers. Go and drink. Drink, drink, drink of Christ. How long has God lived? Never was a time when he didn't exist. Do you realize that no matter how long we live in eternity, it will only be a tiny slice of time compared to how long God has already lived? Doesn't that blow your mind? There's not any end to space. If there is, there's a wall there. If there is a wall there, there's something beyond the wall. It's, it's amazing, the, the magnitude of our God. We will have the privilege. Anyway, I'm getting off the point. So through John, the Savior's deepest spiritual teaching was communicated to the people. Then another statement, 555, Acts the Apostles. Few could see the beauties of Christ's character as John saw them. Few could see them as John saw them. He's quite a man. Uh, you want to read about John? There's some very good descriptions of him in the book Acts of the Apostles. I'm going to read just a little bit more, uh, and we'll comment. This is talking about when Paul was before the emperor Domitian. Okay, he was on trial because he was hated by the Jews, and he was hated by the Romans because he kept the disciples. He was such a powerful witness for Christ. He kept the church strong while he was alive. They hated him. They wanted him out. Then it's talking about his, him being on trial. It says false witnesses accused him of teaching seditious heresies. By these accusations, his enemies hoped to bring about the disciples' death. Then it says this. John answered for himself in a clear and convincing manner. And with such simplicity and candor that his words had a powerful effect. His hearers were astonished at his wisdom and eloquence. But the more convincing his testimony, the deeper was the hatred of his opposers. The emperor Domitian was filled with rage. He could neither dispute the reasoning of Christ's faithful advocate, nor match the power that attended his utterance of truth. (laughs) Yet he determined that he would silence his voice. And so they did. You know what happened. Except they weren't successful. They threw him into a boiling pot of oil. They said, thus perish all deceivers who teach Jesus Christ. And then John began to talk to them about Christ. He didn't burn up at all or get hurt at all, and they had to pull him out. Yeah, pretty amazing. But anyway, the Lord selected the best of the best living as his contemporaries for the communication of the book of Revelation. All right? Here's the one I want to share with you. Jesus is inviting you to draw near to him and fellowship with him and be a mighty, developed, mature witness of his word and his truth. Mm -hmm. And from one sense, God has no favorites. From one sense. But from another sense, he does. Yeah. So it's our choice. The thing is, is it all hinges on our choice. How much do we want fellowship with him? Okay? Now, um, I'd like to go to a passage in the book of Second Peter, uh, chapter 1, to try and explain to you just briefly why we need to study the book of Revelation, because Peter talks about the benefits of studying prophecy. Okay? So if you would, I'd like to go uh, briefly to Second um, Peter, chapter 1. And uh, I want to take a look here. Second Peter chapter 1. 
I'm looking at verse 19. You're probably familiar with the passage, and we'd like to observe something here this time looking at it. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it says, We have also a more sure word of, te- of prophecy, a more sure word of prophecy. In contrast to Peter's eyewitness account, he says there's something even more certain than our eyewitness account as disciples. It's the word of prophecy. It's more sure. Okay? So 2 Peter 1.19 says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed. What does it mean to take heed? It means to listen. Whereunto you do well that you take heed. Very attentively, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Where is the dark place? It's the human heart is the dark place. Okay, And Peter says, as you study the word of prophecy, it will be a light that shines into a dark place until something happens. Until the day dawn and the, what happens? Yeah, and the day star rises in your hearts. Now, what is the day star a symbol of? Christ, yeah. Revelation twenty two sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So here's what Peter is saying. Precisely, by the study of prophecy, Christ is invited into the soul. He comes resident into the soul, and he lives in the soul by the very process of the study of prophecy. So when we hunger and thirst after the word of, of truth and the, and the word of God, by that very process, Christ comes and lives in the soul, and then he, then he is able to um, communicate his truth to others. You know, when you read the book of Galatians in chapter 1, Paul says, When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. In other words, he was called from his mother's womb. He says, When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son. Listen to the language. To reveal his son in me that I might preach him. Look, God is looking for people who not only who communicate truth, but they transfer to the world the very testimony of the essence of the character of Christ, and it comes out in, in their witness and in their life. Okay? So Peter is saying, this is very thrilling. If you want to come into connection with God, if you want to come into connection with Christ, study prophecy. All right? So if you look at verse 4 in the same chapter, you have the promise. This or this is a text that's well known to many. I'll just refer to it for a moment here. For, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. So Peter is pointing to the promises in the word. He says, These promises are given to us that by these what? You might be partakers of what? Yes, by the divine nature. In other words, the word of God imparts to the believing soul the very life and nature and presence of God. It becomes resident in the soul. So Peter says these promises are exceedingly great and precious, and by them you are partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay? Now, please go over to the second chapter, the same, the same book, Second um, Peter chapter 2, verse 20. It says, For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome the latter end is worse with them the beginning. I just want to make an observation here at the first half of the verse. Sorry for talking rapidly. Verse 20. If, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when the word of God is imparted as God designs it to be, it delivers the soul from the dominion of sin. Now, when Jesus wrote to the Laodicean message, and by the way, there's a very powerful statement in the Testimonies, Volume 1, and in the book, Early Writings, that says the destiny of the church hangs on the Laodicean message. We need to be studying that message. 
But when you read the Laodicean message before Jesus gives the promise to the overcomer, he says, he that overcometh, to him that overcometh, will I grant to see with me in my throne, even as I also overcame. Before he says that, before he gives the promise to the overcomer, he says this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will what? Come into him and sup with him and he with me. So, you know, sometime back when I was going through the book of, of, of Ephesians, I said to myself, I was so blessed at the moment, I said, this book is an open window to heaven. Brothers and sisters, when we study the Bible, we are on holy ground, we are, on reverent, we are to be reverent as we would listen to the voice of God speaking to us as though we could listen to it audibly. We need to treasure this book. Let me tell you something that's going on. You know it, and you're fighting, you're, you're fighting it. I hope you're fighting it. I'm fighting it. But there is such an onslaught of information that's going on today it's a huge distraction from what we really need to be focused on. Granted, we got to deal with the world, but let me tell you this. There's some things you spend seconds with and not minutes. There's some things you spend minutes with and not hours. Don't waste your time. If I was going to put you in a room and I was a wealthy man, I said you can have all the money that you want in one hour, but you got to pick it up one piece at a time. Would you go the $100 bills or the pennies? I think it goes $100 stack, wouldn't you? Hey, let's go to the, to, the, to the source of information that really counts, and that's God's word. Amen. Amen. Hmm? See? So Peter is saying that by the um, study of prophecy, Christ will come and live in the soul. Okay? There's a book, and some years back I read it. I had very little chance to even glance at it recently. I'd like to look at it again, but it's a book by, uh, by Lewis Ware. It's a little small book called The Moral Purpose of Prophecy. The Moral Purpose of Prophecy. You'd find that if you can get your hands on that book. It'd be a very interesting little book on prophecy. It's called The Moral Purpose of Prophecy. And in there he will bear out how the, that in the very process of the study of the book of Revelation, this very process will endow God's people with a spiritual experience that will prepare them for, to meet the final crisis. Okay. Um, let me read to you just a few statements here. And by the way, have, uh, if someone wants to run a copier, I have some copies here of statements if you want uh, to copy these off. Um, let me just read a sprinkling of statements here. I want to get on to some other things before we wrap up. Testimonies of the Ministers, page uh, 113, says, When we as a people understand what this book, meaning Revelation, means to us, there will be seen among us a great revival. Yeah. Wow. Listen to this. Page 116, same chapter. Those who eat the flesh of the, and drink the blood of the Son of God, you understand the meaning of this language, right? John 6, this is symbolic language, saying that those who feed on Christ's word actually partake of his life and body, sim, uh, spiritually, okay? Those who eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God will bring from the books of Daniel and Revelation truth that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. They will start into action forces that cannot be repressed. That means forces on earth and forces of hell. Let the solemn scenes of which prophecy has revealed be left, let not the solemn scenes which prophecy has revealed be left untouched. If our people were half awake, if they realized the nearness of the events portrayed in the Revelation, a reformation would be wrought in our churches, and many more would believe the message. We have no time to lose, for God calls upon us to watch for souls as they that must give account. Do you realize that what you do is going to determine not only your destiny, but the destiny of who knows how many other souls? Mm. You might in you might in a five second encounter hand a great controversy to someone at the gas pump and say, "Here's sir, here's a gift for you. It'll give you a lot of hope to read." And he walks off with that book, and it makes the difference in his eternal destiny. Oh, oh yeah, that's very probable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the destiny of souls depends upon what we now now do ourselves. Okay. But it says they will start into action forces that cannot be repressed. All right? 
Now, here's a call to discipline. Listen, listen. You've got to fight this one. You've got to fight it. Listen. Same chapter. Priceless gems are to be found in the word of God. Listen. Those who search this word should keep the mind clear. Never should they indulge perverted appetite in eating or drinking. Like I tell people when I'm selling them a health book, if you eat like a pig, you can't work like a horse. And I'll tell you this, if you eat like a pig, you certainly cannot think like a genius. Mm-mm-mm. you got to control that appetite. This is to rule, not the tummy. There's a story in the book, Great Controversy, that tells about a man. He was a reformer. Uh, It's on page 364, and his name was Bengal, and he was studying the the book of Revelation. I just want to read this to you uh, as she describes what happened to this man. The prophecies of the Revelation unfolded to his understanding as never before. Overwhelmed with a sense of the stupendous importance and surpassing glory of the scenes presented by the prophet, he was forced to turn for a time from the contemplation of the subject. In the pulpit, it again presented himself to to him with all its vividness and power. From that time, he devoted himself to the study of the prophecies, especially of those of the apocalypse. I'm going to read you one more statement. I want to get on to a few other ideas before I lose your attention. This is Christ's Optic Lessons, page 133. As we near the close of this world's history, the prophecies relating to the last days especially demand our study. The last book of the New Testament scriptures is full of truth that we need to understand. Satan has blinded the minds of many so that they have been glad of any excuse for not making the revelation their study. But Christ, through his servant John, has here declared what shall be in the last days. And he says, blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are therein. Then going on, same page, the question is asked, why is it that we do not realize the value of this knowledge? Why are not these glorious truths glowing in our hearts, trembling upon our lips, and pervading our whole being? Okay? That's fair enough. So we need to analyze ourselves. You know, why, why isn't that happening? Well, I guarantee you, if you're spending 10 minutes with your Bible and three hours with a computer every day, you're going to reverse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, last Monday evening, uh, there, uh, I happened to listen to Steve Wolberg on a conference call. And um, I only got in on part of the conference call, but he got blocked off on most of it, and then he came back in. But anyway, I, I got a blessing out of it, but he, he, he was encouraging people to study the book of Revelation. I thought, really, this is really good. But anyway, he's starting a group uh, or a club called the Re- Revelation Memorizers. He's encouraging people to memorize the entire book of Revelation. Okay? So anyway, if, if someone would like to... to um, copy it off. I have written out a little format on how to re- uh, on suggestions and guidelines on how to memorize the book of Revelation. I have three levels that I've laid out for you. Level one, level two, and level three. Uh, the first level is simply memorizing certain passages in some of the chapters, including Revelation 14. The second level is memorizing like five or six of the entire chapters in the book. And then the third level is entirely memorizing the entire book. Okay? Now, when you can repeat a passage all the way down through without mistake, then you, out loud you know you have it memorized. If you can repeat a passage all the way down through laying in bed at night with not speaking out loud, you know that you even have it further memorized. And if you can go down through a passage at will and go and select out any verse at will and pull it out, then you know you're even, you even have it more thoroughly memorized. So there are several depths to it. Uh, but um, we do need to be memorizing passages. And one of the first things to be aimed at is not quantity, it's quality. Really go for the quality. Get that mind working. Did you know your mind is like a muscle? You can work it hard for a little bit, then give it rest, come back at it again. Work it hard and give it rest, go back at it again. But let me tell you something. There's literally a satisfaction in, in memorizing scripture that if you go after it, not only hungry for knowledge, but hungry for Christ, you will feel your soul fed. Amen. You will. Yeah, it'll, it'll 
um, definitely um, happen. Anyway, I have a, a little guideline paper on that if anybody would like to um, do that. Okay, now I want to talk to you about a couple points. I want to talk to you uh, from the book of Revelation here. One is the fact that as we approach the second coming of Christ, we will um, suffer for what we go through, okay? Uh, I think I need to get better at suffering. I don't know, how about you? You need to get better at suffering? I think I need to get better at it. I miss it. I must admit, I don't do it very much, but sometimes some things bring me to tears. i got to go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. You know, I think of the John Wesley Holy Club list. There's 22 things that they have listed on there of self-examination questions. But one of them is, is am, I, uh, am I self-pitying? Sometimes I wonder about that myself. Am I self-pitying? Mm, not too good. So we've got to overcome that. But I just want to make briefly make this comment or, or a few thoughts here. Look, we will suffer as we go through these last days. We must remember in the process of it, if we are holding Christ's hand, he will work it out for good and he will work it out for our eternal purification. Okay? It's gold tried in the fire. It's suffering. It, it develops Christian depth and maturity and Christ-likeness and it draws us closer to our Savior. God's not unkind when he allows us to suffer. He has a plan in it. Okay? When you go to Revelation uh, chapter 7, the elder asked John, he said, what are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. What are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence came they? Where did these people come from, these victorious people on the sea of glass? These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You know, after uh, when Paul went was in Lystra, Paul and Silas were in Lystra, and they started preaching to the people, and the people got all excited, and they said, oh, the gods have come down to us. And so they brought oxen and garlands, and they're going to worship Paul and Silas. Paul says, man, you can't do this. We're people. You can't do this. And then the people got all upset and considered them criminals, and then they stoned Paul. Okay? So anyway, as you read on down there in Acts chapter 14, it says that they said to the people there, it says they. It says in Acts 14, 22, it says, confirming the, the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we, through much tribulation, shall enter into the kingdom of God. So, just kind of plan on it. Now let me share something with you. The closer you are to Christ, the better you'll be able to suffer. Get those scriptures in your head. Take care of your health. I'm telling you what, if you're sick and tired, it's a lot harder to deal with stuff. Stay active. Don't overeat. Be disciplined. It'll pay you off. Don't pamper yourself. Mm-mm. Don't pamper yourself. Okay, a little bit about suffering. Now, I'm going to try and wrap this up here not too long. But one, of the, one of the things that becomes very evident, and but you've got to meditate upon the book as you study the book of Revelation, one thing that becomes very evident is not only who the enemies of God's people are, but their ultimate and final failure and defeat and destruction. Okay? When you read in Revelation chapter 17... It says, the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. Then it says, these shall these worldly powers, it says, these shall make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Christ will win. His people will win because they are linked to him. Brothers and sisters, all sin and those who partake in it without repenting of it 
are certain to be eternally defeated. Okay? So as we come to these last days, one of the things that the devil is going to try to foist on us is the, the tactic of intimidation to make it appear as if the powers of earth are so great, we must succumb to them. Do not give in. Mm-hmm. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, Nebuchadnezzar said, look, we're, we're in Babylon now. We're worshiping this image. Anybody who doesn't, you're getting fried in the furnace. And we really heated up and cooked it really good to make sure that when you get to, thrown in there, you for sure are going to get the toast. That's not, I'm summarizing the Bible. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't seem to be in too, too intimidated. They said, um, they said uh, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. That is, we're not hesitating here, O king. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, but if not, be it known unto thee that we will not serve thy gods nor bow down to the image which thou hast set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar, as powerful as he was, he didn't have control of himself. He went into a fit of rage and had him thrown in the fiery furnace. They walked out quite fine a little while later. Brothers and sisters, all the reformers believed that the Pope is the Antichrist. Did you know that in all probability the wealthiest organization on earth is the Roman Catholic Church above any government? There's a book, I've never read it, but it's called uh, Vatican Billions or something like that by a man named Abram Manhattan where he measures to some extent the wealth of the Catholic Church and then he says it's not computable. They're extremely wealthy. And as we know that there is coming a time when they will put economic pressure on the world. Because let me tell you this, the devil's procedure is forced worship by dominance. Yes, forced worship by dominance. But there's going to be a group of people who will not be intimidated by these things. And they're not going to be intimidated because their income is going to be taken away or their lives are going to be threatened. They're going to, they're going to be like those in Revelation 12 who says that, it says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. Therefore, rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Okay? They're not going to give in. I mean, how, how do you conquer a man like Martin Luther who said what is about to happen I don't know and I don't care to know let them take my wretched body if they will who also said I don't say that I'm a prophet but I say this they should fear because they are many and I am one And of this he said, I am certain the word of God is with me, but it is not with them. I'm going to read you a few statements here. We could go into the Bible, but I'm going to summarize here from Spirit of Prophecy. 7 BC, page 910. There is one pointed out in prophecy as the man of sin. Uh, you know Second Thessalonians chapter 2 it's quite obvious that day will not come except there come a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God the popes plainly say we hold upon this earth the place of God almighty it's a papacy listen there's one pointed out in prophecy as the man of sin quote he is, he is the representative of Satan. Yeah. 
He has changed the law, and that the first day of the week instead of the seventh is now the Sabbath. Professing infallibility, that means that he cannot be wrong. He claims the right to change the law of God to suit his own purposes. By so doing, he exalts himself above God. Whether people realize it or not, now, the Lord's not going to hold them responsible unless they refuse light or they don't have the light. But whether people know it or not, the keeping of Sunday instead of the seventh-day Sabbath is in a direct attack on the government of God and direct hostility to God. Okay? Seven BC, page nine ten. Here is Satan's right hand man to carry on the work that Satan began in heaven, that of trying to amend, that is change the law of God. Those who accept the false Sabbath exalt the man of sin and assail the government of God. <clears throat> I want to share something with you. There's a very insightful statement in the book Ray Controversy, page 608. It says this, As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message abandon the ranks. Okay? So a large group of people, a large group of Seventh-day Adventists, they profess to believe the Sabbath and the Adventist message, but they abandon the ranks and they, and they join the opposition. Okay? It says by partake, something like partaking, by partaking of the spirit of the world, um, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. By partaking of the spirit of the world, they have become to view matters in the nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy, popular side. Okay? She says the reason they leave and capitulate and jump ship and leave the three angels' messages is because they've not been sanctified by the truth and they've come to view matters in nearly the same way as the world does. Let me tell you, where the battle is, is in your brain. And if we're not allowing the truth of God to flow into our hearts, we will not have the right perspective on what's going on, nor will we be prepared as we should be in these last days. Okay? I don't know, maybe I should wrap it up. Maybe I've said enough. Maybe, can I cram five minutes? I'm going to try and cram five minutes. All right. If anybody wants it, I will take the time with you. I I just, I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about, as you know, in Revelation chapter 18, um, it says of Babylon, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Okay? And we it's commonly known that the word sorcery in the book of Revelation in the Greek means pharmakia, is where we get pharmaceutical from. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. If anybody wants it, I have a, 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 a video interview, and I can pass it on to you from my phone, take a little bit of time after church, but I have a video interview by Dr. Brian Artis, who has some tremendous information on the COVID uh, crisis and what's going on now. He will tell you how to fight it naturally. Very interesting information. Um, there's no doubt that, brothers and sisters, that Rome is highly involved in the drug industry. Just chalk it off. Um, listen. Here's what he, I'm going to tell you this really quick, and I have some copies here if someone will make it, whatever, I can try and communicate it with you. Listen, Dr. Artis explains that if you have zinc in the cell, zinc in the cell, the viruses can't multiply. Okay? They block it, they stop it. So you can take zinc as a supplement. Did you know there's a lot of zinc in wheat germ? Sesame, which would be in hummus. Sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, there's a little bit in peanut butter. So if you want to eat some zinc, there's zinc in some foods, okay? Beans have zinc in them. Did you know that it takes quercetin to get zinc into the cell? You can buy quercetin as a supplement, but did you know the highest foods containing quercetin, which is the agent that gets the zinc into the cell that defends you against the virus, the highest foods that contain that are apples and onions. 
And when they made ivermectin and when they made hydroxychloroquine, which are very, very successful drugs in fighting COVID, by the way, which are being squelched, okay, did you know that they almost identically copied worm, the herb wormwood and the quercetin? And they couldn't make a drug out of it. You can't patent something that's in nature, so they made it very similar. I have a friend who, his wife had a friend who was fighting COVID very bad, and she took some ivermectin. She was very bad for a while, and she took ivermectin. She was fine in 12 hours. Now, I want to mention something else to you here, too. It's a, it's a, it's a documented fact that when they were fighting the Ebola, the Ebola outbreak in Africa, that they were using several drugs. Dr. Artis tells about it. It's right on his clip. That, and one of those drugs was a drug called remdesivir. It was killing 53% of the people that they were giving the drug to. They pulled it out. They pulled it off. Did you know that that drug is being high, widely used here in the U.S. right now on COVID patients? I have a friend who just died in the hospital recently, and it was of all likelihood he was given that drug. Brothers and sisters, we've got to get good on the health message. God will protect us. The book Great Controversy 629 says that God will protect us from pestilence in these last days. We must depend upon God. We must not be we must not be afraid of man, and we must live for him, and we must be bold for the truth in these last days. Mm. Yeah. I'm gonna quote you a passage and then I'll be done. Same thing as in Revelation seven again. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest? And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. He's so loving. He's so good. I want to see him. I'm thankful to him because I've made many mistakes. But I'm thankful to him. And I won't let him go. I appeal to you today to memorize verses and chapters and more out of the book of Revelation. And read your Bible and read those good books. Great Controversy, Christ's Object Lessons, Desire of Ages. Feed on them. Push the world back and commune with God.